hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Kanja Book Club. The price of admission? What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Conjure Book Club, a weekly teeny podcast where we intentionally experience the Star Wars Expanded Universe together, one story at a time. I am one of your hosts, Timothy Guthrie, fan of Liverpool FC, even though they are are not putting forth a great foot today. Adam Dyson um, is here with us. He is the fan of the opposing team, Everton FC, um, who... Got the win over me today. Adam, how are you feeling? Pretty good. Pretty good, but I won't go any further because I don't want to get in trouble. But you lost and I won. And that's that's it. That's the most important thing. That's I am <laughs> you know, it's it's sad for me. It is a sad day. Um it, there's also sad for me for several other reasons, mostly because I didn't send Cheryl a marble video and I'm very upset about it. Um, Cheryl Bell is also joining us. Cheryl, you don't really care about football, you don't really care about marbles. But how are you doing in light of all this? I'm doing just peachy. And yep, do not care about the other aforementioned things. (laughs) Just blissfully ignorant, (laughs) and we can shut up about all of it now. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to have both of you with us. Um, Patrick McIntosh is not here um, once again. But this reason, today specifically, is the whole reason he's been out this whole month. Our boy Patrick is getting married today. So... Super congratulations to him. I hope he does not check into us <laughs> like he did last week during today. He's got some other things he should be focused on. But uh, Patrick, we're really happy for you whenever you go back and listen to this. I'm super excited for you and can't wait to hear all about it. Yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy day, crazy weekend, uh, crazy last week. We got some fun Star Wars news. Um, we got some fun Utini news coming down the pipe. Um, don't really have anything new to update you on in terms of Discord or um, Patreon, uh, but we do want to talk about our book schedule because we do have an announcement to make today, um, and that is that the bookshelf is either open or it will soon be open um, by later this afternoon. Uh, March, as you know, we are reading Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price, but April is going to be a community pick month. So in traditional Conjure Book Club fashion, each of the hosts have picked a book that we are going to put forth into the uh, polling voting system. Um, Patrick has chosen Claudia Gray's Into the Dark. Adam, would you like to tell the people what your choice is for April's possible book? Yeah, I was about to say the wrong book because I forgot that I changed it at like the last second. But I picked the the first Thrawn canon novel. I think it's been... Okay. About a year since I read that one, so it's due for a reread. Okay, so we we may get some heavy Thrawn action here in the next couple of months. Yep. Um, this could be fun. Cheryl seems to be pretty excited about <laughs> I, that. Is, I was like, man, um, I'm going to vote for Into the Dark, but then Adam threw that out there, and I was like, ooh, snap. Love <laughs> me some Thrawn. Mm-hmm. Yep. My personal choice is Catalyst, a Rogue One novel. Um, It is a good one. I think one that is highly underrated. Um, It kind of gets left out of the the greater novel conversation often, but I want to shine a spotlight on it. So that is going to be my pick. And then the community. It's up to you all. It's up to you all to decide what you want to go up against those three books. Um, When the bookshelf gets open, you get to um, list whatever book you want to show up, the most commented book or the most 
most commented and the most liked emojied whatever book um, will go up into the running against our three books. We will then take those four selections to Patreon where our patrons will vote and we will announce that uh, final book in our first week of Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price. So this is a two-week voting process, pretty much. It's extensive. Kind of feels like U.S. elections. Am I right? Um, <laughs> no, nah, probably not that bad. Um, but we will... Um, I'm super excited to see what we come up with. It has been um, a long time, I feel like, since we've had a community pick. Um, so I'm really stoked to see where y'all go with it. And that is that. So... We're getting ready to close February out with a bang. Um, Things are heating up in Heir to the Empire. Uh, We are covering chapter 17 through 24 today. So I'm going to go ahead and give us the summary of the chapters. Um, So super spoiler alert here. And then we'll get to talking about it. So, stranded in the middle of nowhere after his escape from Thrawn, Luke works out a plan with R2 to get up and running again. He drifts into hibernation for a time, but is awakened when the wild card shows up. He meets Mara Jade and Talon Card, and they verbally spar for a bit. The friendly meetup ends quickly when Talon stuns him, though. When he woke, he found himself in a bed near a forest. Mara Jade is there, but he didn't sense her. It's weird. She mocks him because she knows that he can't use his powers, and she threatens to kill him before taking him to Card classic Mara Jade. He's a prisoner, but only loosely, according to Card. On the other side of the galaxy, Leia wakes up and finds that she and Chewie have arrived on Kashyyyk. The city is full of connection from the way the trees hold up the city to the embraces among old friends. She learns all about Wookiee ecology and technology from Ralra, a Wookiee with a very interesting speech impediment. As they head to their arranged quarters, Leia sees Anogri, but he escapes before anyone could find him. She feels she'll never be safe. On board the Falcon, Winter speaks with Leia, C-3PO, and Han gets an update on Coruscant, where things are getting pretty messy. Han and Lando go to Abrogado for a meet, and they reminisce on the fateful Sabacc game that won Han the Falcon. Spotting some shady characters across the casino, Han jumps into the Sabacc game and is rewarded by being called a cheater, because of course he is. The whole thing was a bit of a setup, and it allows for him to meet one of Card's partners, a man named Tor, who is smuggling food to those in need. Card won't like it, but this is the hookup that they've needed, and he promises to deliver them to Talon for a meeting. Han presents his whole smugglers joining the New Republic pitch to Talon, but he's a guy that doesn't want to take sides. Thrawn unexpectedly shows up looking for Mori Salamiri and warships and wants to chat in person with Talon. The whole thing nearly goes sideways, though, when Luke and R2 break out of their makeshift prison, steal a ship, and head to the forest. Mara goes after him, but they crash not too long into the chase. As stormtroopers come to retrieve them, they flee deeper into the woods and are confronted with what to do next. Back at the base, Han and Lando go poking around and find Luke and R2's prison rooms. Talon catches them and they catch each other up on the events thus far. In the forest, Mara and Luke talk about their plans and try to avoid being hunted. His Jedi-ness didn't win the war. Something else did. It's kind of unsettling to Mara Jade. Y'all, this was, um, I could definitely feel the action really picking up, really rising here. We've got a couple of, of main plot things that we're going to kind of talk about. Luke being captured by Mara Jade, which was super interesting. Han and Lando trying to meet up with Card, um, which ends up bringing all of our, you know, main cast together in a weird way. We get Leia and Chewie um, heading to Kashyyyk, and then Thrawn is just really looming. He doesn't show up much, but he really causes a lot of problems when he does show. Um, let's talk about Kashyyyk, because it's we probably the time that we spent the least amount with. Um, I don't know that I got the subject and verbs right in that particular phrasing, but, um, you know, 
when we're on Kashyyyk, the way that it is described, um, Zahn thinks about it a lot like a natural version of Coruscant, pretty much. Like, there's more dangers the lower that you go, um, you know, because they live up in the trees. Um, personally, I love the way that he talks about this connection. Like, there's such an emphasis on it, from the way the city's held up, to Chewie's embrace with his friend that Leia's like, this doesn't look good. Um, what are your impressions, Cheryl, of the city and the Wookiees? How did it feel to be there? Um, I think the city shows the Wookiees ingenuity and how they work with nature instead of against it. Like you said, it's about connection and it just shows us another layer of Wookiee culture. Um, I think that they have a respect for their planet and its ecosystem. And instead of cutting down trees and clearing land, they instead choose a symbiotic relationship with them, despite now having the technology available to them to create a modern, quote-unquote, modern city. Um, but they know that just because that's available to you doesn't mean it's better. Um, and then my thought on, like, with Chewie and Salporin, um, seeing Chewie's long embrace with his childhood friend makes sense when you consider the life debt aspect of the, of their culture, because it shows the Wookiees deeply value friendship bonds. And I love seeing yeah, sure. that interaction with Chewie and Salporin. Um, I think this moment is also meant to show us just how much of a sacrifice a life debt is. Like Chewie doesn't get mm. to leave Han's side often. He doesn't get to go home and visit family and friends. Um, that being said, I think Chewie like very much enjoys his time with Han, but it's still like kind of yeah. sad in a way to think that Chewie is bound to Han in a way that means he doesn't just get to go do whatever he wants. Yeah, like he has a whole family <laughs> that's that's left behind, yeah. um, which, you know, we'll get to eventually and, and we learn about in canon, too. We get to see some of those relationships there. But, you know, Adam, how did how did this how did this hit you? I'm getting to see the Wookiee homeworld. I mean, this is before we ever even get to the prequels, before we ever see it, um, you know, there in episode three. Um, what did you think of this whole thing? There's a very interesting parallel between the planet and its ecosystem to that of Coruscant, and then it gets shadier as you as you descend into the shadows. I thought that was wonderful that even in a in a more natural spot that the shadow and the darkness does bring its own dangers. This one more natural mm. than Coruscant's you know, man made uh, yeah dangers that it comes with. So, yeah, I loved it. I've only really seen it in the prequels. I haven't really read a lot about it in the canon or seen it much in the comics. Um, what Saw it in a video game once or twice. So Fallen Order yep. and, and Knights of the Old Republic. So it was, it, it was nice to actually read about it in a book and, and have it so vividly described by Timothy Zahn as well. Yeah, you bring up Fallen Order. That was one of the things that I thought about on my reread because I've played the game since the last time that I read this. Mm. Um, and it was really helpful for me to be able to envision a little bit more of, of what was going on there. Um, and that place is terrifying. <laughs> There's, I would not do well on Kashyyyk, y'all. Not at all. <laughs> um, you know, the you, Cheryl, you brought up the idea of the life debt. Um, and it's, it's not a question, but one of the things that I, I really thought about too was um, how how much they believe in it and how, um, you know, it's mentioned that they have a life debt to the new Republic, um, at large because of, you know, freeing them from the bondage and the slavery that they were in, you know, underneath the empire. Um, and it's so, in it's so interesting to look at the intricacies of how they view that life debt. Um, like you mentioned, um, I'd love that you brought that up. 
um, one of the crazy things that happens here is that Leia is trying to flee to Kashyyyk to avoid the Nogri uh, because they think that this is going to work out, you know, perfectly well. We talked last week how Thrawn obviously knows everything that's going to happen because he's super smart. But I don't know. I'm I'm trying to think if I was um, in her party, you know, would would I have believed Leia about seeing the Nogri? Like knowing that this was supposed to be so safe and so secure. Um, Adam, if if you were one of the Wookiees here, like like, do you think that she was legit? Um, you know, would you have believed Leia about seeing seeing it, knowing they couldn't find any evidence? I think so. The evidence is there. You just have to what look a little harder. Um, for me, the Wookiees have come for being enslaved by the Empire, and they have this this princess of the rebellion who basically helped topple that Empire. So I I could definitely see them believing her, and that the machinations of the Empire have followed her because she's there for a reason. They would. I think even for them, it'd be weird to see someone of Leia's stature there alone with just Chewbacca. So she's clearly there for a reason, and I think that they would support her. Yeah. Cheryl, how about you? Yeah, I would believe her. She's a very intelligent Force user who's stood her own and proven herself capable and is credible. So I would, I I personally would believe her. Yeah. It was really interesting, and I don't know why I necessarily thought about it differently this time when I read it, Um, but maybe it's just because it seems like something is always happening to them, Um, and because everything is always happening, there's kind of that part of like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, like maybe you're just super stressed, like, like can we just chill out for a bit? Um, But yeah, it it makes super sense um, that that they would, and I'm I'm glad that we'll be able to see some of that here in the next, um, there'll be some kind of resolvement in the next set of chapters that, that we'll see. Um, is there anything else that y'all want to say particularly about, you know, this portion of the story being on Kashyyyk? Um, anything stick out to you, Cheryl? I, d- I did not have any further thoughts. No. Cool. Adam, you good? I just said that planet is scary as hell. And I would like to stay <laughs> yes. as close to the top of the trees as possible. <laughs> yeah, scary as hell makes me also think of Mustafar, and I was like, I think I'd rather take my chances on Mustafar with those weird fleas Seriously? than being in the oh you know in the ground levels of Kashyyyk. They're giant spiders. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, burning the forest down. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. Which I don't advocate actually doing that. Please don't. Um, so we're gonna head to Merker, where we really spend pretty much all of this section what did you, adam i'll go to you first you know what did you make of cards base um it seems pretty expansive to me um were you expecting you know we've gotten little pieces of him uh, through the story so far but were you expecting something of this scale from him i think so he keeps a lot of things close to his chest in the public domain but however when he gets to that that private domain he has to have the facilities to support his enterprise so it's just seems logical to have such a large place and, and it's probably somewhere that he does keep secret from his customers and his acquaintances etc so i wasn't i wasn't exactly surprised i've been to a business as that you know has a one level office and then you know 10 k's away they've got 10 warehouses so it's just yeah the public face versus the private face i think i gotcha yeah that makes total sense cheryl how about you were you were you surprised at all or were you expecting something of this scale from him I honestly just didn't give it much thought. Like, he's intelligent and business savvy, so why not? Um, I guess I just don't think about logistics much. That's fair. Accept it. That's fair. Um, I think it kind of set me back 
and it's always fun to reread some of these books because you notice some of the, the minor details, I guess. And, um, you know, knowing that, um, he's kind of taken over Jabba's operations. We learned, you know, in the first set of chapters of, Hey, there's this guy telling card and he's kind of taken over the huts in the midst of, you know, him dying in return of the Jedi and everything. And it's kind of like, Oh, if that's actually going to happen and we'll talk about this later, but if that's actually going to happen, um, like that's a pretty big enterprise. Um, so he probably has this and way more, um, in his back pocket that he can kind of store and, and plan and strategize from wherever he wants to. And I'm sure he has several secret bases like this. Um, you know, one of the things that's interesting about Talon is that he does have a bit of a, um, um, I guess, uh, a moral compass somewhat. Um, Adam, did you, what did you make of him treating Han and Lando as these honored guests, um, and actually hiding them from Thrawn when Thrawn has tasked him to find Luke and to do all this crazy stuff? What'd you make of that? Just made me like him more, but I, I also look at the fact that he comes from really the same world that Han and Lando have come from. I think there's a kid, like an automatic, uh, kinship between the three of them. Uh, they are smugglers probably, you know, there's a few, a little bit of backstabbing here and there, but I think it's, yeah, it's just. I, I think of it as like you know three soldiers once they all go and do their own thing they still come back and 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 really honor where they've come from yeah and then the fact he's he's just as you said he has that moral compass and he's not willing to to bend his own values to to quit because really if he was to give, give them up to Thrawn then there'd be a huge advantage probably to him and his business but yeah he's not willing to take the easy way out yeah. Well, it's really interesting too, and I'm, I'm going to kind of move to the next question, but it's, it's interesting that part of that is he's also like running food smuggling operations. <laughs> like he's part of the ghost crew in some ways, um, which I found in, like to be another interesting layer um, to him. Cheryl, what, what did you make of, of Talon and, and the way that he treats Han and Lando as guests and even the fact that he's smuggling food? <laughs> um. In, in regards to um, treating Han and Londo as honored guests and hiding them from Thrawn, that, like, that absolutely, that's the moment that made me fall in love with Card. Like, it shows he has mm. integrity, which is not something yeah. we see to this extent in most smugglers. And here we see honor among thieves, like, as it were. Yeah. Um, he shows, it shows he values people more than money. It also shows he's not a coward. It also shows that he may not quite yet realize just how formidable a foe Thrawn is. Like, at this point, yeah. I think Card realizes he's lost his base of operations. However, I think he still sees himself as having a chance of outsmarting Thrawn. Um, in regards to the, like, am I surprised he's smuggling food um, to those in need? Um I think this is used again to show us that he has that moral sense. Um, but remember that the people that are in need of food in this case are those who are wanting to sort of live off grid outside of the new governing body established on their planet. So as mm. he is someone who also is wanting to work outside of official governmental entities, I would imagine that he would be particularly sympathetic to their plate. Yeah, that's a lot of very excellent points. <laughs> um, and I think you're right. This was the part of the book for me that I, I realized a card's going to go the distance in terms of who I'm going to remember most. And, you know, in my legends, 
um, kind of timeline of reading and everything, like he's going to stick out as one of the better characters. Um, Zahn does a phenomenal job of giving him these really creative layers and, and making him seem like someone you want to care about, even though he's doing some shady things. Um, and very similar to our boy Han in lots of ways. Um, and he, he nails that, um, that smuggler friend dynamic, um, within him excellently. Um, I did mention Jabba here a minute ago, you know, Aves towards the end of the book mentions that Talon's crew feels a little bit indebted to Luke, um, for ending Jabba for that whole thing. And it's an implication that I never really thought about on, you know, that kind of an operation at that scale. Um, you know, it's going to have ramifications that trickle throughout the entirety of the galaxy. Um, you know, you have no idea how many, you know, indentured servants there are in different places and how many families owe a debt to Jabba and how all of a sudden it seems like that's cleared, but there's this giant power vacuum and there are whole communities that wrestle through this kind of thing. Um, and it just kind of brought to me and I'll, you know, Cheryl, I'll, I'll ask you first, you know, would you like to see more stories like this expanded on in the EU? Um, you know, some of these groups like card, um, and kind of fleshing out that galaxy a little bit more. Yeah. For sure. I mean, Jabba was a gangster crime boss, so he ruled through intimidation and fear. So smugglers aren't all inherently bad people, and crime syndicates can, like, trap people into a lifetime of servitude, like how you say, like, they have, like, are indebted to them. So these people were given, like, a rare second chance when he died. So, I mean, that's Han's story, too. But, um, yeah, I'm definitely excited at the prospect of potentially getting more of those types of stories in the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, I'm, I'd be really interested to see if we don't get, you know, some of these kinds of things to pop up here, um, you know, because they're in between crime bosses. Boba Fett jumps in, as we know, at the end of uh, Mandalorian season two. Spoilers if you haven't seen it yet. Like he shows up and he does some big things and he kills Bib Fortuna and then just like, oh, my gosh, what does that mean? Um, Adam, what do you think? Like, do you want to see more of these stories of the the struggling smugglers and, and how, how that's going to look in light of Jabba being gone. Yeah, definitely. And not just the smugglers, but all the other indentured servants from like, hopefully in the program, it will highlight those who are just even working in the palace itself. I don't need to see smugglers over and over again. Like there are more people that were kept down by, yeah. you know, Jabba and, and probably Bib Fortuna. And I'm not going to go into it much, but like, you know, once you start reading Into the Dark and the 200 years prior, there's some hot stuff there and um, yep. you know, the, just how they how they got there in the first place. It's it's really interesting. But yeah, I don't need smugglers. I, I, I'm happy to see the little person get out from under that yoke. Well, it makes me think, honestly, it makes me think a little bit back to Kenobi. Um, I wonder how Oren's life, you know, would have changed if Jabba had been ended before, you know, before Kenobi got there, you know, before all of that. Um, How would his debts have been resolved? Would they have? Um, How does that relationship translate? Um, It'd be really interesting to see what what that would look like if he had to report to Card instead. Um, Maybe he wouldn't have ended up a Tuscan. (laughs) Who knows? Um, Let's talk about our girl Mara Jade. Um, she is a hot ball of fire and in, in this particular section, she is angry. She is bitter. Um, she desperately wants to kill Luke and she gets really close a couple of times. Adam, what do you think is keeping her from pulling the trigger? Wish I didn't get asked first. Um, no. (laughs) Going to try to steal, steal all of Cheryl's good answers. (laughs) No, no. So from what I've gathered is that 
she's not willing to take that final step because she's still figuring out why she wants to take that step in the first place. I think that she herself personally really doesn't want to do it. And, um, and that we're finally, you know, we're going to get to that point where she, we, we see in the forest and all that kind of thing. And like, I've read onto the second book, etc. And, but yeah, I just think that her, like she herself does not want to do it. And she just, there's a lot that she's trying to figure out. It's almost in my head. It's almost like she's trying to, like, she knows it's a thing that she, you know, quote unquote has to do, but mm. she's trying to, but why? like, she, yeah, it's like she's trying to find the why herself. Mm. I don't know, at least at least for me. Like, she doesn't yet have a good enough reason to do it. Yeah. Cheryl, what do you think? Um, what's keeping her from pulling the trigger? Yeah, that's the question we keep asking ourselves, isn't it? Right? Like, and we obviously yeah. find out the answer in The Last Command. Um, it definitely makes her a compelling character. Like, is it loyalty to Card? Like, she tells herself that she doesn't owe him anything, but ultimately she knows she can't leave him to suffer the consequences of her actions if she went through with it which shows us that she does actually care for Card and has compassion. And she even asked herself this very question, like, why hasn't she just killed him yet? So, which gives yeah. us another clue, because if it was something that she truly wanted, wouldn't she have just done it already? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And, you know, she she is this, you know, she is a wild card in Card's group. Uh, pardon the pun on Card's ship, ship's name. Um, but, you know, at the end of chapter 24, Talon likens Mara to a wild Vornsker, uh, right? He's sitting out there with one of his pets and there's these wild noises and stuff. And he, he wonders if um, if Mara could eventually be tamed. Um, Cheryl, what do you think about this? And I guess, like, would it take would it take actually killing Luke to get there? That's something that he thinks about. And, you know, without going into spoilers and things like that. Um, I don't know. What, what's your take on it? I think Card is misreading her because he doesn't fully understand her motivations and doesn't know the the why behind her bitterness and hate. Um, viewing it as mm. like as taming is somewhat narrow minded, I think. Um, yeah. Mara is willful and headstrong. Yes, but she's also focused. Um, mm. Mara says that killing Luke is her right and her privilege and her duty. So that last word duty suggests fealty that she feels honor bound in his murder. So this is classic yeah. vengeance. So now we ask who did she lose and how is Luke responsible for that loss? Yeah. Well, and she confronts him, you know, there in the woods and it's like, you destroyed my life when you ended everything. Um, and like, Whoa, um, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big deal. Um, Adam, what about you? What do you think about, about this and, and Mara possibly being, uh, tamed after she killed Luke? I mean, there's nothing to suggest that, that she even would, like she could find another target. You know, she could be a hit woman. You never know. Um, what's your take on it? I think that the idea of taming is, or just taming, taming a woman like that is, is just dumb in general, but she's just, I, I think that yeah. he's, he's barking up the wrong tree. Like, you do not tame this woman. Um, so, like I like, you know, you, you brought up the last command. Like I have not read that yet, but that is definitely what I'll be reading next because I need to. You better get on finish, it, boy. I need to finish this story. <laughs> <laughs> it 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 does. It is interesting to me that you know in his in this particular profession that they're in, right? Like you take a risk by not knowing 
you know, for a hundred percent who the people are that you're working with. Like you have, like there's some acceptable risk in that. And it's so interesting that he wants to work with her so bad, knowing that there are so many things he still doesn't know. Um, and so it, it is interesting that he's trying to kind of put those pieces together and he, he's bound to make a, a mistake, you know, once or twice because she won't let him in either. Um, it's a very, you know, she's very, um, personalized. She's very internal, like to herself. Like she knows the things that she wants to do. She knows why she wants to do them for the most part. She's still trying to figure some of it out. Um, but yeah, I just, I thought that was a really interesting kind of connection that he made at the end. And, um, thanks for giving your thoughts on that. Um, Lando also recognizes her a little bit, but he can't quite place her. Um, and there's nothing really that I want to say here, except for the, it's just another piece of the puzzle. Like Luke has this weird dream, um, you know, force vision thing about, Oh, like whenever he's in the cave on, um, you know, this strange woman catching his lightsaber on Jabba sail barge. And then you have, uh, Lando kind of recognizing her and it's like, maybe this is her for sure. I'm, I'm putting this together. I think this is it. I'm, I'm not quite thrown, but I'm seeing some of these pieces connect. Um, and I, I, I just think it's really cool the way that this world is being built, um, slowly. And that'll lead to another question here in a bit, but we do get to see Han some, um, not too, too much, but we get to see him get into some trouble, um, at a Sabacc table, of course. Um, Cheryl, you are a lover of all things Han. Um, what is it that is so enjoyable about watching him get up in the shenanigans? I think because we get to see that swindle side of him. Like we get to see him in his element. We're just reminded that, oh yes, this is how Han survived his way through the galaxy before becoming respectable. So. Right. Adam, what would you agree with that? Do you like seeing the, this kind of random side of him in his element? Yeah, no, I'll just I'll just sit here and completely disagree with the resident Han expert and lover. That's the smart decision. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I I completely agree. Um, we didn't get to see much of him in this section, but what we did, it was it was still Han. Yeah, it is really interesting to see um, his his kind of makeshift code language with winter, you know, this is a little bit of a side thing, but do you think that she knows what's going on? Um, <laughs> sitting there on Coruscant, like <laughs> talking to a C3PO Leia, like, do, do you think she's putting these pieces together, Adam? I, I would hope so. I, I like for winter, she's clearly in that position because she's a very capable individual. Um, and that she would perhaps recognize the differences and subtleties between C-3PO layer and a real layer. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, just, I mean, like it sounded like Han was talking into 3PO basically <laughs> to get it out. I'm like, you know, he's going to mess something up here. I don't care that they're married and, you know, have kids on the way. Like he's as, as brilliant as he is, as great as he can fumble his way through situations and, and seem like a genius. Like, He's still sometimes an idiot. <laughs> um, Cheryl, what do you think? Is is Winter Winter in on this? Do you think she knows that Leia's not actually with them? Yeah, yeah. She grew up with Leia. She also has a perfect memory. So she'd be able to tell yeah. if something was off with 3PO's performance. Like, she knows how Leia would talk. Especially with right. her. They have a very close relationship. So she might not know, like, where she is and the full plan of it all, but she definitely knows that that was not Leia that she was talking to. <laughs> yeah. It is really interesting to see um, 
how Han was able to come up with this kind of crafty language and um, to learn that things on Coruscant aren't all going great. Like things are a mess. Um, I'm, as I mentioned before, I'm reading the 20th anniversary edition and um, Timothy Zahn actually says that this was something that he uh, like actually kind of used from his own um personal life because when he had gotten heir to the empire uh, like the project for it he couldn't talk about it but he was at this giant convention and it was like him and his wife and two of his best friends or something like that and they were having to figure out how to talk about this book project in the middle of this giant science fiction convention like in a restaurant when they know if you mention han luke leia like people are going to know what's going on so he had to come up with these like code words like um uh uh, Leia was sister and uh, best friend was Han. And then you have like co-pilot was Chewie. And so like you have to talk in this weird kind of code and just kind of make it up as you go. And it was really interesting because he said that just like how uh, Han and Winter never really talked about it, he and his friends didn't really talk about it at the restaurant table. <laughs> um, you could mention names like Thrawn and Winter because no one really knew who those were at the time. Um, but I just, I thought that was a really interesting thing and how he kind of brought his own, uh, flair to this. Um, <laughs> it's not something that he came up with on his own. Um, one of the cool things I think about this that's really kind of coming here. Um, now that we're starting to see our team kind of end up together and running into each other or barely missing each other around corners and things like that is that star Wars, I mean, it's called the Skywalker saga, like the main movies and stuff like star Wars was originally supposed to be about Luke and the Skywalker family. Um, but I think this book and especially this particular section is a really good example of it truly being about more than just him. I mean, it, we've got hundreds and hundreds of books and I think it's really cool that it's been able to expand like that. Um, but why do you think, you know, this ensemble nature um, of this particular story, why do you think that it works? Um, Cheryl, let's start with you. I guess I've just always viewed it as an ensemble and not just Luke's story, but that's just me. <laughs> um, I okay. think it works because the characters all have different perspectives and strengths and all bring something different to the table. So characters that are written in a way to show complexity and depth um, is also great storytelling. So I just always love the way that Zahn writes um, not only established characters, but his own. So. That's good. Adam, what do you think? Why why does this ensemble story work? I think that the ensemble works because everyone gravitates towards different characters. So for me, like I like Luke, but he's not mm. like incredibly high on my favorite character list. So an ensemble like an ensemble story just it gives some something to anyone who wants to read it. Like they they're, they're going to be fans of Han, there's going to be fans of Mara. Talon may be a favorite for many people. Um, so yeah. I love that it goes beyond the Skywalker family, except Anakin. Like you stand Anakin, Ben, the rest, you just, you like what you like. So, yeah, I love that we, I, I love that Star Wars has a, a great history of, of not being about the main characters. Um, you know, we wouldn't have gotten, um, uh, a book about Ahsoka if Ahsoka hadn't been the side character that showed up and absolutely blew it wide open in the Clone Wars, like taking risks like that. Um, and you, Adam, you mentioned that, you know, Luke isn't your favorite character. He's not mine either. Um, I, <laughs> I find him to be pretty insufferable. Um, uh, I sometimes, really like him but, in, this, in these books though. Yeah. 
I, I do love him like, here. Like, Heir um, to the Empire and, like, the Thrawn, the Legends Thrawn trilogy Luke is, like, my favorite Luke. Yes. I would I would definitely agree with you there. Um, but I, I think it's, it's nice to catch a breath. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice to, like, I mean, Luke's going to spend half of this time in hibernation. Like, I don't need to know what R2's doing behind him, you know, through the whole thing. Like, it's nice to get a break. Um, and it's... I think it's really cool because it, it does build this universe. It expands it out. And that's our favorite thing. Like, that's why we're here. Um, any little breadcrumb that you can give. I mean, like I look at the, from a certain point of view books, um, like the, the fact that a man running around with an ice cream maker and <laughs> empire strikes <laughs> back can, can will Rohood can create, you know, a, a convention phenomenon with people running around carrying ice cream makers. And then we, like we finally just learned in, Mandalorian that it's basically a safe and like the thing that he's carrying around. And like, I love that there, you know, opportunities like this, especially when done well. Um, I love that we get, um, we get to see more of this galaxy that we love so much. Um, I love the, the little moment that, you know, Luke, when he's going into hibernation, he, um, like, uh, mentions Leia's name as like one of his last things and you know it wakes her up um, but they're clear across on the other side of the galaxy and it's really cool how you can still bridge those things together um, in a really unique way which you know let's talk about Luke you know he's really depressing a lot of emotions here um, you know he feels totally alone um, and what does it say you know Speaking about him saying Leia's name, you know, um, Adam, what does it say about his situation being stranded in his X-Wing that he feels like he's hanging from the bottom of Cloud City again? It's just, yeah, another link to the films that made this kind of, this book happen, I guess. People immediately identify his helplessness and and immediately think back to to Bespin and and Luke being in that situation. Yeah. Cheryl, how about you? I actually think this passage really highlighted his optimism like he's faced with okay. the vaxxed vacuum of space all around him completely stranded with no one knowing where he is and he's honestly able to calm himself much more than i would have been able to like the absolute dread yeah, and sure. total panic you would be feeling in that moment would be so immense and he overcomes it and he gets to work not dwelling on the very real immediate threat of death alone in space like and yeah, yeah, I mean, you say, like, but also a testament of his power. Like, he can call out to Leia and she can hear him across the galaxy. Like, that's huge. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's really huge. Um, I, Scott, I want to shout out him. He, going back to our ensemble question, he said that ensembles allow for different perspectives. Um, and I also think they allow for main characters to change some and not be so static mm-hmm. without it seeming drastic. And I think that's an excellent point. Like it gives us some time away so that whenever we look back at them, we can accept that, oh, something probably happened that they would have changed a bit. Um, And it's not so abrupt. That they're learning from each other too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I also want to, Aiden, uh, Jedi Pig says, just popping in to remind the host that Heir to the Empire should have lost to the other February options. (laughs) LOL. (laughs) That's a joke. (laughs) Just kidding. This is the best podcast on Utini. Oh, thank you guys. Um, So kind. So kind. It's only because Cheryl's here right now. I can tell you that Like, Shout out to Jedi Pig (laughs) because he scored me that signed copy of Greater Good. Greater good because it went yeah. to ship to Canada, I so I was like, "Someone help!" And he's like, "I can help." It is, it is so good to have friends. Much appreciated. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, and very witful, I would say, um, using your wits there to find a connection. I'm trying to bridge a gap here. We see Luke use his wits quite a bit um, in this particular section, right? He uses the, you know, more than the force. Um, he's also just a smart kid. Um, you know, on three different occasions, he gets to outwit people. You know, once when he's on board his X-Wing, you know, at the beginning of this section, he's trying to figure out how to... Um, like get it started again and has R2 set to work on a project. Um, again, whenever he's breaking out of this makeshift prison on cards base, like he uses his robot hand, um, like I never would have seen that coming. And then again, he uses his wits to stay alive in the forest when he has to convince, you know, Mara J to keep R2 around. Um, this is a, a bigger question, I guess, but do you notice, um, and Adam, I'll start with you. Do you notice any parallels between Luke and Talon and Mara and versus like Sabaoth and Thrawn and the way that they're all trying to outwit each other? Did you notice, um, any parallels between them? Sorry, this is my this week question that I completely missed. It's <laughs> <laughs> fair. Uh, so I think on my feet right now, like I normally do, um, like I guess I see some parallels, but they are still both coming at it from different from different avenues. Um, Luke, Talon, and Mara, in a way, working together, though there are some differences there. Versus kind of Thrawn and Sabaoth in that constant struggle for who is the dominant, like alpha in that relationship. Um, you know, Sabaoth in all his insane glory, thinks that he sits on a, on a perch slightly higher than Thrawn when then there's Thrawn who is controlling the game. So I, I do see some parallels, but I definitely see differences. Cheryl, how about you? Um, did you notice any parallels here? I, I personally did not see any parallels just because <laughs> I, th- okay. I thought of it, it was like, Sabiath isn't a prisoner. Like he has an agreement right. with Thrawn and is working with him to gain what he wants. Um, so I just, it didn't even occur to me that there would be any parallels. Um, yeah. yeah. But I'll, I'll say that Luke being without the Force is some of my favorite parts of this book. And particularly that scene when he's coming to and finally realizes what is happening is like so great. Mara mockingly saying, <laughs> welcome back to the world of mere mortals. Like, I just love it so much. Right. Yeah. You know, I guess whenever I was thinking of this, um, I, I just think it, it is really interesting that we see Luke kind of stripped of his powers a little bit. Um, he's a little bit wonky anyways, as we've seen in the last little bit. And then we see Thrawn also stripping Sabaoth of his powers, you know, from time to time when he's around. And so both of these, you know, supernatural, strong, force sensitives are having to find other ways to... Um, to wit and outsmart the people who are stripping these things from them. Um, so it, it, it just kind of levels the playing field a bit and it, it's really neat that I think it expands on, on Luke is more than just a great Jedi. Um, and Mara even makes mention of that. Like it wasn't his Jedi-ness, you know, that won the war. There's something else underlying that did that. Um, and I don't know. I, I I just love um, the way that Zahn was able to kind of level the playing field here. And we've talked about it in the last couple of weeks too, but um, it's just, I felt like I saw some more intentional efforts um, of them being really smart and calculating um, around each other 
Um, they're consistently having to play chess against each other in a way that feels natural um, and not like it's this giant game that's very obvious, I guess. Does that make sense? Yep. I, I love it. Love the section. Um, I really love this book. I'm so glad that um, that it did win February, that we are um, going through it. What were you, some of your favorite moments, Cheryl, um, from this particular section? Or do you have a favorite character here? Um, what you got? Favorite moments are everything with Mara and Luke in the forest, particularly when they set up camp for the night. And Mara is actually mm-hmm. starting to learn more about the type of person that Luke is. Like she's never met him. And now she's being forced to get yeah. to know him. And she's constantly surprised, even impressed, much to her annoyance at how observant he is. Um, mm-hmm. And Luke is showing competence despite not having his Jedi powers and like the line that you kind of I think we're thinking of is when she says but then maybe there was more to him than met the eye more than just a family name a political position and a bag of Jedi tricks and that's when I totally started shipping Luke and Mara seeing the classic enemies (laughs) to lovers trope (laughs) which is my favorite so Um, them being forced to work together is my favorite part of the book. And I also just want to say that ever since I first read this book in like 1998, I have always wanted to be able to have someone to talk to about it. Like none of my friends mm. read Star Wars books or even really watch the movies that much. So after reading this book for the first time, I was so excited and I had no one to share with. So finally, <laughs> and now you years, do. I get to be on a podcast gushing over it and discussing it. So yes, that no, just means a lot to me. Yeah. Well, and you bring up a good point too about Mara and maybe, you know, some of the, what I'm going to call programming in, in, in her mind that it seems like she's being driven towards, um, you know, that she has this one goal and that's to kill Luke Skywalker. It seems like, but it's, I'm going to say something that one of my men, I've learned from one of my mentors. Like it's really hard to hate someone up close. Like when you actually get to know a person, it's really easy to be an internet troll. It's really easy to, you know, hate people from afar, whether they're politicians or whatnot. But when you actually get to know their middle names, you get to know that they have families and you know what they're like on a day-to-day basis. Mara is learning that it's much harder to hate someone once you get to know them. Yeah. Um, now, you might find some very valid reasons to hate them then after. Right. No, <laughs> I mean, you might course, be totally she's justified. To see but in this that moment, she values, she's like, right? So yeah, she's like, there is Ooh, more to this, like this guy's actually not like kid. just a dumb, like arrogant idiot. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep, for sure. Adam, how about you? Favorite moments, favorite characters? I definitely enjoyed everything in the forest because it was finally wonderful to see that everything that I've heard talked about on paper like start to happen in front of my eyes um so that was definitely a big thing but and just the little decisions made by talon card were also you know just the if he he could have given them to throw on and the story could have taken it from there like there was a natural progression there but to actually see him make a decision from like the integrity that he carries around like it was just yeah just little things like that really made the section as well 
Yeah, I think that that's probably my favorite portion of this is to watch him kind of play the shell game with with Han and Lando and Luke and um, and Thrawn and trying to find a way to make sure that none of them know that the other one is there. And um, that's wild. Like he didn't even want Han and Lando to know that Thrawn was going to show up. Um, and I, I thought it was really interesting to see his cunningness and how even when confronted at the end of the book or at the end of this section by Han and Lando of like, what's going on? And they catch up on everything that's happened. Like he's still very much a, this is why I did it. And this is why I'm still keeping you guys like apart and you're still my honored guest. And so I'm going to tell you everything since you found out anyways, these, this is why. Um, and yeah, getting his complexity. And um, I really, really loved, loved that. That was a big decision too. Cause at the very end we see him, he's sitting there and he's like, He's realizing that he's lost his base of operations now. Yeah. Like that. And it was a choice that he made. Yeah. 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 He could have kept it all. He could have been in Thrawn's back pocket. He could have been handsomely rewarded. Um, And instead he, you know, fell to his own code of honor. um, The ethics that he had set aside. I told these people they were guests. They are my guests and I will have no harm come to them. Like, and there's there's some loss. You can definitely feel that loss from him. Like, I, I hate that I have to give up something that I've worked so hard to build, but it's worth it because it's only going to pay off down the line. Um, really cool. Any final thoughts from either of you? No. Cool. Thank y'all so much for joining us this week. And to everyone in the chat, too, y'all are so kind. Always good to see you all. And if you can't, if you're listening to us um, on Patreon or however you get a hold of this, maybe you've hacked into our G drives. Who knows? Um, we're so glad that you're listening. And anytime you want to get your thoughts on the air, don't hesitate. Um, just shoot us a message, jump into the chat anytime. Um, even after the show's done, hop over into Discord and um, let us know what you think about the books that we're reading so um thank you for being here we'll be back next week to talk through heir to the empire chapters 25 through 32 in the meantime it's it's the closing oh my gosh i'm so excited in the meantime you can find me timothy on twitter and discord at underscore t guthrie adam is at darkstar au and patrick boy that's getting married is on discord at mac 11 special shout out to our guest this week cheryl bell you can find her in the discord community at cheryl with the blue butterfly if you want to help support the show, head on over to utini.com, look up Air to the Empire, and click the Amazon link on the profile. It'll keep us on the air and help us produce some more awesome content. You will find links to Air to the Empire and March's book, Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price, in the show notes and the Start Here channel in Discord. If you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on Patreon or pick up some merch at utini.com forward slash merch. Also want to make sure to point out, you need to go to the bookshelf. Let us know what books you will want to read in April, Community Pick Month. So um, let us know what you want to do there. A special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson, Kyle Hickman, Elizabeth Cloutier, and Freddie C. on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier, and Cheryl Bell, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council tier for their amazing support. And shout out to Adam and Cheryl for podcasting with me today. You guys are the best. Congrats to Everton. May the force be with you, everyone. 